Fundraising from donor advised funds is stronger than ever before. What you need to know to be successful. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and this is the first day from the Fundraising School. I'm joined today by Dr. Dan Heiss. Dan is an alum of the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, and he now is a professor at Brigham Young University. And from that seat, he is one of the nation's leading researchers into donor behavior and charitable giving from donor advised funds. And Dan, during the pandemic, fundraising from donor advised funds accelerated significantly. What do fundraisers need to know? That's right, Bill. So the early data out of our 2020 giving is indicating really strong responses from donor advised fund donors. We're seeing jumps in 30, 40% uh, increases in grant making and the number of, of grants being made, uh, both total value and number of value. So I think I think there's really positive um, message for fundraisers who whose organizations were especially hit hard during the pandemic uh, to know that there are donors out there who have some money set aside for charitable giving and they're willing to part with it when when the need arises. Um, it, it, you know, some organizations saw more of that money coming to them, uh, where other organizations may not have been uh, as visible during the pandemic. But we do see some indication that donors are still giving to the, the charities that they love to support. And then they're doing extra out of their donor advised fund to give to additional charities where when, when the need arises. Dan and a colleague, Dr. Danielle Vance McMullen, uh, shared together work on researching donor advised funds, what was happening after the Great Recession. Dan, what did you and Danielle find after the Great Recession with donor advised funds? And how is that lining up or not with what's been happening during the pandemic? What we saw when we looked at the last, the Great Recession, was that even when the assets within donor advised funds were dropping because the market was was dropping and the amount of contributions coming into the donor advised funds were dropping because people were you know were strapped for cash and had less expendable income um, that the grant making coming out of donor advised funds stayed robust and, and stayed relatively stable um, in some cases increasing in some cases decreasing just slightly but given the overall picture of what was happening, the grant making coming out of donor advised funds was stable and was resilient to the economic shocks. What we saw with the, with the pandemic, we saw an initial uh, shock to the, the, the stock market. So assets were plummeting in the first, you know, three, six months, um, you know, but people were still giving even during that time. Thankfully, markets recovered by year end. And what we expect expect to see a strong year-end uh, giving out of donor advised funds, even after the large surge in, in, in grants during earlier in the year, you know, they were, they were up uh, year over year by 2019, but we're still expecting to see uh, good year-end giving out of donor advised funds. Um, so that's, that, that, that was, will be interesting to see. So the research demonstrated that despite the Great Recession, the number of grants coming out of donor advised funds, the dollars, total dollars coming out of donor advised funds, the percentage of donor advised funds being made available to charitable giving to nonprofits, those indicators all went up. Uh, and the early indicators are that the same thing happened at least in the first six months of the pandemic. And Dan and his colleague, Dr. Daniel Vance McMullen are finding the same thing and expecting that that will continue when the data come out for the second half of 2020. And Dan, of course, that raises the question, why? Why are these holders of donor advised funds even more active when the economy is worse? That, yeah. So what, what happens when people give to a donor advised fund is they're, they're setting aside money that they know in their mind, this is for charity. And 
people do that in different ways. Some folks do that on a regular basis. They maybe maybe pull some out of their uh, account every year or their, their paycheck, or they may uh, move some out of an investment account every year, or they may have a big event where they, they sell property and they move money over. What happens is once people set the money aside, they, they're able to have that flexibility to respond. So a lot of folks, we see them giving to regular charities year over year. They have a pattern set up. And then the donor advice fund also gives them that flexibility to, um, to, to, to respond. And we, we see Slack. We see some Slack within the account. Um, you know, there's usually folks like to have kind of a, a cushion, so to speak, in their account. Um, I've got one uh, community foundation manager who likes to think of a bathtub analogy where people will fill the bathtub, drain it, fill it up, drain it. Um, but usually people will keep a little bit of water in that bathtub just to make sure there's always some water in there. So there's, there's that extra cushion, so to speak, that allows donors to respond to these kinds of situations. And we also know from other surveys and other research, some of that conducted by our colleagues at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, that our donor advised fund donors tend to be our most strategic donors. They put that money aside on purpose for charitable giving. And perhaps we should then not be surprised that when there's an economic downturn, they become more active with those funds in their DAS. And, you know, Dan, there's so much attention here. The donor advised funds have been in community foundations probably since at least 1930 or so. A huge uptick in the last couple of decades with these funds being created in private wealth management firms. Do you see any distinction? Does a fundraiser need to know whether that DAF is in the community foundation or the private wealth management firm, or is it all similar regardless of who the host of the DAF might be? Bill, we, we definitely see different groups resonating with, gravitating towards different kinds of sponsors for different reasons. The community foundations really attract donors who obviously are concerned about a specific geographic region. And we see donors at community foundations having liking to have a little bit more engagement with their DAF manager, with their DAF sponsor organization. Um, with folks who are using some of the larger national, you know, commercial sponsors, uh, we see folks who, who really value the, uh, the, the the convenience of being able to make transfers easily. Uh, you know, a lot of these sponsors have really uh, you know, easy to use platforms that, that are just very convenient. Um, and so we, we do see some, some variation in the types of markets that, uh, uh, that these different sponsors are, are attracting. What I think is important for, for fundraisers is that uh, if you represent an organization that aligns closely with a community foundation and your mission lines up with that, well with them, I would encourage you to reach out to the local community foundations to try and build that relationship like you would with, with a donor. Um, and when there are ways for that community foundation to engage their donor advice fund donors with your cause, um, you will have built that bridge already. And so that's one thing. That doesn't happen as much with the larger, really hardly at all with the larger commercial sponsors, but um, we are starting to see a trend among all donor advice fund donors, especially in 2020, that they're trying to be more proactive in feeding information, giving ideas and opportunities, uh, but the community foundations are really the ones that are, are, are um, a little bit more innovative in that way and more hands-on. And a question we always hear at the fundraising school is, how do I find an individual who has a donor advised fund? Dan, when we receive that question, I, I think about fundraisers who are so well trained to go find a foundation whose guidelines meets the mission of their nonprofit, whether that's you know, through an online database like that provided by Candid or just through a Google search or they know about the foundations in their local community. 
not the same with donor advised funds, right? Help our fundraisers understand that aspect of charitable giving from DAS. Great. Yeah, so there is no public list of all the donors who have a donor advised fund. Uh, you, you can't Google it. You can't go onto a donor advised funds website and they won't give you a list of their donors. So it is a different approach. Uh, the first thing I, I, I share with fundraisers is talk to your current donors about whether or not they have a donor advised fund, right? Bring up the conversation. Uh, maybe send out a simple survey. Um, knowing that your donor has a donor advised fund should change your strategy. Uh, you know, coming from the annual giving world and, and from major gifts, we would always look for indicators of, uh, you know, th that, that a donor was, a, was a, a, a good prospect for a major gift. If, if you know that a donor has a donor advised fund, you find that out, that should be a good indicator that there is some of this slack that they have set aside uh, an amount of money to, to give. And so you want to uh, change your approach and, and think a little bit more strategically in, in that way. Um, I already talked about building relationships with the community foundation to try to, to see if, if they're willing to connect donors to you directly. That's another strategy that I think fundraisers can take. Um, lastly, I think you, you also want to just um, realize that the folks, generally speaking, and this is changing, but the folks who are using donor advised funds um, look just like the other folks that make major gifts. And so there is no demographic that separates donor advised fund donors from other major gift donors. It, it, they're really very similar. And so as you prospect for your major gift donors, Again, think that you know. Think about engaging with, with your other other prospects in a way that you're trying to find out early on if they have a donor advice fund. Dan, um, that is great practical advice based on your research. And as we then look ahead, I, I'm going to ask you to forecast. And I know with a researcher that can be a dangerous thing to do because you always want to live with the data and the integrity of the data, which helps us so much. Uh, but you know, we know that your research and that with uh, Daniel Vance McMullen showed that you know. After the Great Recession, on the heels of the Great Recession, giving from donor advised funds went up. Unsurprisingly, consistent with your research, we saw the same thing happen in the first half of 2020. We expect the data to show the same for the second half of 2020. Take us three or four years away from the Great Recession. You know, what was happening with donor advised funds then? And is there anything that we can learn from that as we think about fundraising if and when the pandemic is ever over? And we think about donors who hold a donor advised fund. What about looking forward? What advice can you have for us there? So a couple of things, it is always hard to, to think looking forward. A couple of trends that we see from the data, especially what's coming out of National Philanthropic Trust and their annual report. Um, we do see uh, the share of overall contributions that are going first into donor advised funds are growing every year. Now in 2020, uh, it leveled off a little bit and we need to understand kind of why that happened. But generally speaking, about 13% of all contributions going to any charity is first going into donor advised fund. And that number has grown tremendously over the last 10 years. So we expect after, after the recession, if you know, when we get there, that that will continue to grow. They're becoming more popular. So people are learning about it. A lot of organizations, Fidelity, other organizations, uh, large organizations and other community foundations are dropping their minimum. They're, they're either taking it away or lowering it to 500 to 1,000. We're starting to see, you know, younger donors starting to use 
the donor advice fund. So we anticipate that the, the, the percentage of all donors who use a DAF will continue to grow and the amount of money going first into a DAF will continue to grow. That's, that's good news overall for the sector. That is hard to hear. As a former major gift officer, I know it's hard to think of your money going into a holding account or an intermediary before you get the money. Um, we think that that normal giving patterns will resume, that this, this surge that happened in 2020 will, will kind of come back and, and will resume pre-pandemic types of, of patterns. Um, but we do think the growth, overall growth of the amount of money going into donor advice funds is a good thing long-term for the sector because we will have more of that reservoir, so to speak, that, that, that can sustain shocks when something else happens a year, two years, five years from now. So even if the percentages of giving from donor advised funds don't stay at those pandemic levels, donor advised funds themselves are just continuing to become more popular all the time for a wide range of donors, not just the high net worth donors, uh, but as these minimum amounts come down to open up a donor advised funds, more and more donors are going to be using this vehicle. It's something that fundraisers need to know and can take full advantage of thanks to the research-based advice from Dr. Dan Heist. Now, Information about DAFs is incorporated into so many of our courses here at the Fundraising School. We have 30 different public courses that lead to four different certificates. Uh, more and more of those courses are being delivered in person uh, as different health codes and public policies allow us to do so. Certainly courses are available online. Some of them are recorded, some of them are live, and all of them are accessible with a crisis response scholarship that lowers the cost of registration by 50%. We also have these podcasts free of charge. Show them to your donors. Show them to your staff and your board members to help strengthen the fundraising in your nonprofit. We have quarterly webinars. Occasionally once a month, we meet together for Fridays with the Fundraising School. All of this is available online at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the Fundraising School. With Dan Heist, I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the Fundraising School. Thank you.